Welcome to the Get Offset Podcast. My name is Emily. And I'm Joan of Heart. And uh, so uh, a random old song, 35-year-old song went viral this week and people are conflicted about it, man. Yeah, on the internet, there's a lot of debate going back and forth about whether the old one should be pretty much like, you know, listened to and, you know, revered versus the new one, which I don't know, it sounds the way he's spinning it. I don't think it has the same feeling to me. We're talking, of course, about the Tracy Chapman, legendary Tracy Chapman song, one of the best songs ever written, Fast Car, uh, which came out in 1988. I think she was like 19 when she wrote this song. So that's kind of that's kind of bananas. But uh, so country singer. Well, let's let's talk about Fast Car a little bit. So Fast Car uh, propelled Tracy Chapman to superstardom. Um, it was it first got attention when she had to fill in for Stevie Wonder at a Nelson Mandela birthday concert. This concert was broadcast around the world. People heard Fast Car. I think she'd also played earlier in the day, but people heard the song. And obviously, it's just one of the most perfect songs ever written. And uh, everyone fell in love with it. It's one of her two really, really big hits. Her other one being Give Me One Reason from, yes. I think, like, 96, 98. Um, but yeah, that's uh, recently been covered by country singer Luke Combs, and people have some feelings about taking a song by a, let's let's Tracy Chapman's very private about her personal life. It's widely understood that she's queer at the very least. Um, I forget which uh, I forget who said that she had a long relationship with Tracy Chapman. I but uh, yeah, so that's let's let's just be respectful about that. But people are saying like covering a queer black woman song during Pride Month seems rude. And some people like Natalie Weiner, who's a great uh, a great um, country um, journalist that I follow, said. No one will make you listen to the Luke Combs version of Fast Car, but him leveraging the country machine to cut gaudy checks to a queer black woman is good to me, whether that was his exact intent or not. But the big reason that really kickstarted this discourse about a cover that was released, I think, years ago is that it surpassed Tracy Chapman's original chart performance. Interesting. Yeah, that's as far as looking at between the two and it being years since it came out and surpassing. It's it's interesting because, I mean, it's a different audience that's being exposed to and thinking about, obviously, would this demographic have even listened if it wasn't a country song? Yeah. And if it wasn't a country song by an enormously popular male singer, I think like that's a great point. And I'm you know, there are songs that are sacred for sure. There are artists that you shouldn't cover. And to be completely honest, I don't like a lot of the covers I've heard of Fast Car. Um, My least favorite Fast, and people are going to be mad that I'm saying this, but my least favorite version of Fast Car is by the Black Pumas. And I like the Black Pumas. But here's what they did. They slowed down a song that's already very long. Oh my god. And I don't really like his vocal performance. Like he adds like little flourishes to the end of the verses. And I don't I think that lessens the efficacy of the song. That's yeah, that's what I was thinking. That did it take away from the emotional value of what's being said? Yeah, that yeah. would make sense. Because Fast Car, it does have a pretty driving tempo and it's long, so it kind of needs that. So when you take away like a lot of the stuff that drives and propels it forward, it's like do you I think too many people think that slowing down a song, it makes it more evocative, makes it more emotional. And I just don't think that's always the case. And this is a great example of that explicitly not being the case. I think it makes a song boring and it sucks to to say that about a band I really like and about a song I fucking love. So, yeah. um, yeah, yeah so- I love that song too. <laughs> so it's kind of hard to think of other people covering a song that's so iconic. Um, yeah, Tracy Chapman in her music, 
that I've heard. Another one that I really love is talking about a revolution. Like I love that song so much. And it's just, again, she gets to the heart of whatever matter that she's singing about. And I think as far as a singer in which you're trying to deliver a message or have something through your music kind of felt, of course, at a slower tempo, tempo, the delivery is really what's important. And when people cover it, I always feel like when they take it upon themselves to make it more of a, oh, I'm going to do it my way, they completely lose the whole point and the message within the song trying to, I guess, more ego a point part of it rather than the message. Yeah. And like, I, I, I stand conflicted on this matter in mm. a, a few ways. Like part of me is like, if you're going to cover a song, you should make it yours. But it's kind of hard to do that when a song is already like the definitive version like, yeah. I think, like, I would want to fight, I want to fight Maroon 5 for what they did to Princess <laughs> on Kiss, like, real bad. Like, how dare you? But then there are people who cover songs like uh, Cindy, I mean, I guess it's not so, such wasn't such a definitive cover. Cindy Lauper, Girls Just Want to Have Fun is a cover. Yeah. And she made that song infinitely better. Um, there are plenty of examples of, like, really great covers that maybe aren't, like, better, but are still great. Um, but like Nally and Brugula's Torn, I think is oh, yeah. better than the Edna Swap version, which is the original. Uh, like it happens. It's f f very doable. It's more doable when people don't know the original song as well. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure lots of people don't know the Luke Combs. I mean, people who listen to Luke Combs, I don't know how many of them listen to Tracy Chapman. Again, that song is 35 years old. Most of his Oof. fans are like yeah, much younger and so they don't have that emotional growing up with it. I was big into folk, the folk tradition, folk music um, when I was a teenager. So that's when I heard Fast Car. And it's not like this big musical mystery. Like if you're into music, you've probably heard Fast Car. But if you're into like country radio, it's marginal. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I'll tell you what I do love about Lulu Combs version is it's, it is a very in my opinion true cover of the song um if which can make it sound a little more like karaoke i like luke combs voice just fine i think it's fine i think his version is fine what i fucking love about it is he did not change the lyrics at all and i think that is a special <laughs> level of respect because he sings the words i was working in the market as a checkout girl he sings it and it's like no one's going to give him shit for it. No. So I, I really I really like that he did that. And when you read his interviews about the song, he's like, my bros and I would sing that in the truck. Like, that was, like, one of our jams. So I just really wanted to cover it. It sounds like he has an actual respect for the song. And I think that he didn't go out of his way to make it really, like, honky-tonkified or anything like that. Show, like, it, it reinforces that narrative of the respect for the song. Yeah. When I read about it myself uh, in interviews and stuff like that, and he talked about the respect that he had for it. Yeah. That came across even when I listened to it. And even I think in the, I guess towards the end of the song, when the chorus came in again, it looks like it was a, from what I could hear a blending of her voice and his voice together. Oh, really? Yeah. And the ending half. And I, every time that I heard it, cause I listened like quite a few times. See, is that her? It's blended together really well that you really have to listen. But I think again, that's also a respectful nod. And of course, if he's getting the ability to, I guess, use the song from her as a way also of blending her song in with him, it's also kind of a respectful, nod as singing with the person like you used to do yeah in the truck or with your friends or whatever everyone's singing in the car i definitely have that same memory to that song let me let yeah just some. see um uh she's credited as composer let me see if let me see if this has a wikipedia page here. or maybe there's another woman that was saying but it sounds like her on the track like blended yeah, and, if in. It, and if it wasn't her which i think that would be kind of hard because it would yeah uh, to at least have that kind of nod, if that was what was intentional. That's uh, pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it doesn't have a Wikipedia page yet, but um, damn it. Yeah, so I want to kind of look at some of the tweets. Obviously, we read Natalie's. Yeah. There's someone else who, like, I don't agree with this take, and I think they've kind of gotten dunked on a little bit. At this point, if you do a cover of Fast Car, you're going to hell and then jail. Oh, go on, <laughs> go to jail, straight to jail. <laughs> Yeah, no. So uh, nothing beats the original, sure. 
uh, the only person who should be covering fast car is her and it's um marnie from the tv show girls in the car and <laughs> like one of the last episodes oh my god <laughs> that was a pretty good one um there should be no covers of fast car this may offend some let's see i had i think i sent you a couple i just don't remember remember them did i put them in the chat um, you mentioned that there was tweets, controversial tweets that oh, yeah. he has tweeted oh. over the years, so that's what I looked up. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. So that we'll get to that in a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I want maybe we'll get to that next. But um, yeah. like I, I think I was looking at the comments in this pop crave tweet about it. Uh, I think I just threw up everywhere. I don't want to be <laughs> here. Things I hated. Uh, skips during Pride Month. Homophobic. Yeah, that's what I read. I read some of those. Ooh, this is mean. Anyone who thinks his version is even remotely close to the original ain't eight paint chips as a kid. Uh, let's see. I don't know if there's any. Oh, so disrespectful to Tracy. I tell you what's not disrespectful is the fat checks she's getting already. Like she's like, is that that's yeah. what I want to talk about last is how much money she's no, been estimated to have made from his cover. The other uh, thing I think I saw in one of the tweets was the fact that someone was griping over the fact that she let him cover her song, but I understandably could understand why she wouldn't. But they were griping over the fact that she wouldn't let Nicki Minaj, like, you know, do something with the song. And I was like, uh, yeah, I, I kind of think that, yeah, probably. I don't know how that Nicki Minaj would use that song in what way and whether... But yeah, they were griping over the fact that they wouldn't let, they'd let him, but not her. And I was like, well. So my guess is that uh, Nicki Minaj didn't want to do a straight cover. She either wanted to sample or do an interpolation. And I I know for a sample, you need to get that cleared. For an interpolation, adding someone as a writer to the song, as well as yourself, um, they can negotiate that split. So if there are four writers on a song, not in common in pop music. Uh, it's not by default split 25, 25, 25, 25. It can be negotiated anyway. It can be renegotiated anytime holding, holding the royalties hostage sometimes in the process. Uh, so if Nikki wanted to, wanted to do an interpolation where she'd be a writer along with Tracy Chapman, Tracy Chapman, who is for the record, very protective of her intellectual property and very good at getting her money from people who don't want to pay her could demand a hundred percent of the writing royalties of that song. And Nikki would either have to release it or not like agree yeah, to that. That's or probably not what it came. It. That's probably what it came down to for sure. When you cover a song, as long as that song has been commercial commercially released once, uh, you have no say you could, it, it, at that point, anyone can cover it. Anyone can cut it. Uh, that's why Nashville publishing houses, especially are very, protective and selective and that's why so the tv show nashville uh had trouble getting songs cleared for it sometimes because especially at the beginning nobody knew if this show was going to be a hit and people didn't want to waste their good songs on a show that might just flop be canceled in one season when they could uh have it recorded by someone who's very well known like casey um Carrie Underwood, Casey Musgraves writes her own shit, like Carrie Underwood. So that that was a problem because the, the show couldn't just, well, I'm going to do it anyway, because there's yeah. like that right of first refusal, essentially. So Luke, all he needs to do is register with a Harry Fox agency, which is what that agency is called, and uh, send them money, and Tracy gets paid. That doesn't have to do shit. That makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. So that's how that's how covers work, and that's why he could cover it. And that's just a part of the music industry that people who aren't haven't read a book about it uh, just don't understand. Me, <laughs> me. Read a book. <laughs> that would be good. Uh, the, my, for everyone who's out there curious, when I say read a book, uh, I highly recommend everything you need to know about the music business. It was literally my textbook in college, and they updated every few years to have uh, up-to-date information. It's a fantastic resource, very easy to read and understand. Get that book. Um, if I had an Amazon affiliate link, I'd drop the link, but eh, just buy it. <laughs> buy it from Ryan Burke's affiliate link. I don't care. There you go. Mm. So, yeah. Um, 
people mad. <laughs> people, they big mad. They mad. <laughs> they mad. And, you know, uh, how does Tracy Chapman feel about this? I don't believe she's gone on record, but I can no. tell you how I would feel about it. Um, so this has happened for like, it's been like a few weeks, maybe, that this has really been climbing. Um, billboard estimates and Billboard knows their shit estimates that the Combs version has generated about $500,000 in publishing royalties globally from its March 17th debut through June 8th. Chapman alone is pocketing a sizable portion of that total. Um, Her publishing house is probably taking some. So uh, yeah, most of these royalties have come from 154 million U.S. on-demand audio streams from services such as Spotify and Apple Music, according to Luminate. During that period, Fast Car also had 6 million video streams and 28 million programmed audio streams radio in That's the crazy. United States. The track has also been purchased 86,000 times. 9.1 cents is the mechanical for that. Both digitally and in physical formats, the United States accounts for more than three quarters of the song's global consumption, a high ratio not atypical for a country artist. Country music is not big anywhere but here. Um, what's more, Combs' success with Fast Car has given her original recording a boost. Weekly consumption measured by track sales and streaming converted into equivalent track units increased 40 4% since Combs' version was released, while the nice. average weekly radio spins improved about 11%, which, you know, this song gets, still gets played on, like, yeah, mixed radio kind of stations. The, this resulted in a boost of U.S. recorded revenues of about $54,000, worth $13,000 coming from publishing royalties. Warner Music Group's Electra Records, not Chapman, owns the recorded music rights. Again, that's a very complicated-sounding Thing. so <laughs> in the grammys we have song of the year we have recording of the year and they're like well they're both a single track the recording is the musical the song is the written they are separate they're separated and usually the recording company owns the master recording the recorded version um sometimes you can get that back with negotiations and i hope that legislation eventually makes it possible that this happens kind of automatically um Everyone's going to tell you not to give up your masters. You should try not to, but generally it's it's unavoidable. Yeah. Keep your publishing instead. <laughs> so, yeah, let's say uh, that's that. all that is to say. Tracy Chapman's making a lot of money from yeah. Luke Combs. And frankly, Luke Combs isn't making a lot of money from this track because he doesn't own the publishing. So he's not getting that $500,000. What he's getting is a portion of the um, recording revenue. So he's getting a portion of that money. He's getting money from whatever other boost he's getting, you know, he's getting his some money, whatever his split with the record label is it's probably not fantastic, but he's not getting any of the publishing. No, probably. I assume maybe just enough money to probably pay off, like probably what any kind of, you know, increments from recording the track itself, I assume. Well, that's, the record label pays for that and they charge him for it later. That's, so that's so yeah. in, in book publishing, how it works is you get an advance and then you get your um, royalties on whatever your split is essentially on top of that. Um, so you don't have to pay it back. Okay. I'm sorry. Actually, I think I think you have to pay the original advance back. But in the music business, your record company, uh, they will need that advance back. And then whatever other expenses they incur on your behalf, which you have no say in. Oh, so your marketing, anytime they, they take you out for dinner, oh man, they're they're charging you for that. Um, you're like, yeah, basically if they spend it, they want it back, and then you get whatever's left. So that's how people like the Dixie Chicks in the 90s could go like 10x platinum and make maybe five hundred thousand to a million bucks per record. Total. Yeah, that so that makes perfect sense now. Yeah, so that's how that works. Um, he no, he's Luke Holmes is making his money. Yeah, uh, he's, he's fine. <laughs> let's not worry about Luke. He doesn't have to worry about his expenses because the record label worries about that for him. Uh, so you know, my feeling on it is this song is being brought to a new generation of people who would not have otherwise potentially found it. 
And I think that's a beautiful thing. If this gets more people interested in Tra- Tracy Chapman, the the genre of folk, because folk and country are very closely intertwined, I think that's a great thing. No, I think that's a great thing too. And that's also the same thought I have. If it's kind of bringing this song to a new demographic, new people, younger listeners, I think it's a great thing. It lets them hear this version, love that, and then discover the original and then fall in love with the rest of Tracy's work if they choose to. Yeah, and I think it shows that even the country music audiences that we deem as shallow, only interested in songs about getting drunk and partying and shit like that, I think it goes to show that's really not true. People are craving more depth in their music and uh i i I really hope that country music can kind of like get back to that beautiful storytelling which is ever present in a tracy chapman song yeah and i hope that also leads that kind of direction towards that as well yeah another thing people are upset about is that it's specifically luke combs to be honest yes and some of his tweets previously yeah, and it's hard to say like how much he's grown as a person. So I think his more recent controversy was using the if, if you're going to get pedantic about me calling it the Confederate flag, you stop listening. But essentially using the Confederate flag in a lot of his imagery, he was called out by I want to say Marin Morris about this and kind of stopped doing that. So at least he stopped doing that is my understanding. But yes. he, years ago, he tweeted some shitty stuff like yeah, I, I have some of them. And they're all, of course, aimed at women in a lot of his tweets. One all, was, okay, can we just... All the ones that were pooled were aimed at women. We don't really know if he wasn't also shitting on other people. Other people. Nobody pulled those tweets. <laughs> so, if he was only only targeting women, that sucks. If he was an equal opportunity offender, I mean, you're still a dickhead, but okay. No, of course. And I think he was also having like another feud with like some other singer as well. I can't remember what his name is right now, but there was like some ongoing feud between them two, too, like online and whatnot throughout the years. I think he like how he ended up getting famous, I think, was that he was on this guy's track. And then from there, I think he then afterwards ended up uh, signing with the label and everything. Was it uh, Luke Bryan? Oh, no, no. Or was it something Upton? I can't remember. Oh, Ryan Upchurch. Yeah, Upchurch. That that was seeing a lot of that uh, back and forth on the internet with feuds between the both of them. And of course, Upchurch being really, (laughs) really vocal about his uh, disdain for Luke. Well, I'm going to say Ryan Upchurch is a sucks because the first thing you, you see when you Google Luke Combs, Ryan Upchurch feud is Ryan Upchurch responds to luke combs apology and calls him a fucking sissy oh yeah no that's not great so uh there's mature people in the building apparently yeah oh it's because it was ryan church's video that had the confederate flag memorabilia that's why it was tied to it yeah i remember there was a link but i just was drawing a blank of like exactly how and then that's the whole thing about the apology i'll never do it again i was unaware you know was a lot of his statements yeah <sighs> but they always say of, that yeah they do always <laughs> say that it is i think people who don't grow up in the south it's important to realize that that is such like an ingrained thing that i i honestly think it is kind of possible to grow up in such a a bubble that you're not aware of like how painful it is i think that you kind of know it's shitty maybe but at the same time it's it's just everything around you uh in an article uh talking to maren morris and npr's ann powers love both of them for the (laughs) annual country radio seminar combs says there is quote there is no excuse end quote for using such imagery and now that he's grown as an artist He's fully aligned to, quote, how painful that imagery can be, adding he would never want to be the reason for anybody else's pain. That's a good apology. It is. Literally saying there's no excuse. You know, I I, can do better. Yeah. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt on that one. I I, I think I will, too. And, of course, to go back on your previous uh, thing that you said in regards to being in the South, me being in Florida, um, even still today, like, if you, outside of Miami, if you go north of Florida, yeah, you see... 
Confederate flags everywhere. You'll even like my talk to my father today. And he was driving back from Tampa, I think, on a gig that he did. And he was so upset because on one of the bridges, what he saw was the Confederate flag, uh, a Nazi flag and like some other stuff like the South is Florida is getting really bad here. I've had friends already talk about leaving like it's getting bad outside of Miami. Florida is going downhill in ways that yeah, Confederate flags. Yeah, it it when it comes to the South, it is very much people that are bigots or racists or whatever. Like that's, it's very much still a part of like whatever a country culture is for them an identity. Um, so yeah, unfortunately, you know, I'm not, I don't, I don't know those assholes. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, I stay down here in Miami away from that, but yeah, no. it definitely is very much a South identity and a lot of rural kind of areas, not so much I'd say in the city, um, areas, but yeah, it, if you're not from the South, yeah, it's, yeah, it can be bad no, for sure. All right. Well, I want to take a second to shout out our Patreon as we move on to the next the next thing. <laughs> something heavy. Let's go. Let's and that was something light, completely first, different. But first, um, if you like Get Offset, the content, the stuff, please consider supporting us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash get offset for as little as $5 a month. You get access to our exclusive Discord server for 10 bucks a month. Uh, you'll get a merch item of your choosing probably with a new logo yes. which i'm still the person oh, who designed the logo is moving right now so Aww. it's kind of like yeah it's understandable yeah. yeah whenever she's able to and again anybody that joins the discord it's really great to have you as part of the community and chat about gear and life and stuff like that and again we appreciate it i mean you keep this thing going and uh yeah thank you so much yeah um so we are going to thank some sponsors and then we're going to get into one of the patreon fun things which is submitting games for us so uh -huh. let's do it this week's episode of get offset is brought to you by moog music moog instruments continue to inspire artists and listeners around the world as music technology continues to evolve the company and its employee owners carry on bob moog's devotion to creating innovative tools designed for the musician Moog Music's latest venture is a reimagining of some of its most influential analog instruments of the past for today's audio production workflow. The Moger Foger FX plugins are compatible across all major DAWs on Windows and Mac OS, making the Moog sound more accessible than ever. I use the MF108 Cluster Flux, a flexible processor that can modulate between chorus, flanging, and vibrato in the background track you're listening to right now. I love this effect. It's probably the most used of the plugins uh, for me personally. I even use it in a recent recording project. Learn more about the Mografoger FX plugins by clicking the link in the video or podcast description or by visiting software.mogmusic.com. That's software.moggmusic.com. All right. So let's get into this week's game. I don't know anything about it. Joe, let me know when you're ready and we can do the three, two, one play. Yes, we can do the three, two, one play as soon as you're ready to three, two, right. one. Three, two, one, play. Hello, Get Offset crew. This is NJ from the Get Offset Patreon. I have some would you rather questions for you today. Would you rather listen to your favorite guitar player play your least favorite song or have your least favorite guitar player play your favorite song? That one... I don't know if I have a least favorite guitar player, but when I think about what could potentially happen to my favorite songs, I think I'm going to lean on, because I'm, listen, my favorite guitar player is probably Prince. For some reason, I think he could make songs that I hate sound pretty good. Yeah, I think I'm in the same vein of taking like my favorite guitar player playing my most hated song because they probably could make a spin on it that will actually make me possibly like the song. There, yeah. There's hope there, at least. When I think about songs I don't like, uh, I, I think that they're usually redeemable. Yeah. Uh, 
it just like maybe not the way they like i think they're most songs are i think probably fixable a little redeemable i will be proven prove me wrong in the comments in the comments <laughs> post your irredeemably bad songs let me see it let me and covers don't count covers don't no. count all right yeah i think that was pretty easy for me uh and I'm trying to think of a guitarist I don't like. I actively don't like to listen to. Like, wonder what it was like. I listen. I actually, again, people who listen to the podcast know I like Joe Bonamassa just fine. Like, I actually used to be a big Joe Bonamassa <laughs> fan. Just don't like his marketing. <laughs> his I really dislike his marketing. I um, do too. <laughs> but like, say Joe Bonamassa is your least favorite guitarist, and your favorite song is like Purple Rain. I don't really want to think about Joe Bonamassa doing Purple Rain. Like, yeah. like when I think about guitars I don't like, I'm thinking more like styles I don't like. I don't really like like the blues kind of solo-y guitar thing. And I don't think Joe Bonamassa's a bad guitarist. I think it's quite good. Um, at the same time, I'd rather him do Purple Rain than his originals, I think, maybe. No, I don't want that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to hear Joe Bonamassa do Kiss. Don't give him ideas. No. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to stick with my original plan. Nope. <laughs> All right. You ready? Yep. I'm ready. You ready to three, two, one? Three, two, one. Go. Would you rather number two? Would you rather never have to tune your guitar again or always have your amp settings dialed in perfectly? I'm going to go with amp settings. Because I'm not that bothered by tuning between songs. Yeah, I'm not really bothered by tuning very much either. And with like locking tuners, it's hard, kind of hardly an issue that I run into. And even if it sways, it's only like by slight, like you wouldn't really recognize it. So yeah, I, I also wouldn't care much for the tuning aspect. What's funny to me is that there have been multiple attempts to like make both of these things a reality like gibson had those automatic tuners and people yes i remember them like yes. would people have liked them if they worked is kind of my question because i don't think so i don't know i i have no idea I, how people would feel about that i saw them more as a gimmick i was like oh that's cool like you know a computer machinery is like changing the tuning for me but i was like the same time i was like oh when that fails it's gonna fail bad and you're gonna be stuck with a guitar that's fun yeah, you are, and <laughs> potentially, and then there are, are already tools where you can essentially always have everything you want dialed in perfectly. It's called like an HX Stomp, <laughs> yeah, Stomp XL. So that does kind of exist. When you combine that with locking tuners, like I, I just like that. I feel like the way technology has gone is people, more people are trying to solve the amp settings, like always have exactly the things that you want. And more successfully than your guitar is never going to go out of tune. Agreed. Yeah. Cool. All right. Let's go on to one, two, three. Next. Next. Would you rather? Would you rather have one perfect dirt pedal or one perfect modulation pedal? <laughs> Shit. You can't come at me like that. <laughs> I, God, I'm so much pickier about dirt pedals. Like, I will have like, be so happy with a setup, and then one day I'll sit down at it. I'll be like, I don't like this anymore. Like, you know, I also I kind of <laughs> think I already have the perfect dirt pedal. Uh, a couple of them actually, but me too. I know this I, is a tough one because I'm more like one to play clean and with modulation a lot of times, but I've been kind of e easing my way into the more of the dirt territory, but I'm very picky as well about dirt. Yeah. I don't know. It's like, I just, I think I would <laughs> go with perfect dirt pedal. Um, and my perfect dirt pedal, I think would sit somewhere between the uh, Halberd by electronic audio devices and the lower drive slash robert overdrive by mazette rest in peace mazette because i will say that robert overdrive lower drive it's got it's had two names is maybe my favorite pedal ever and i think i paid like 50 bucks for it nice i don't know, I don't know. 
I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think I would go with I would go with dirt. If it was just always sounded good to my ears, I'd be very happy. Yeah, I think I think this is the one that we'll divide on because I mean, yeah, I could choose dirt and like my JC40 probably could handle like modulation or whatnot. But if suddenly like I got tired of that dirt, like modulation, like all the different varieties of it, I kind of don't get tired of because there's so many ways in which you can kind of make modulation different to kind of carve out interesting sounds with a clean tone. So yeah, I think I'm going to go modulation is pretty much what I'd mean to. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i honestly not so picky about modulation. Like, mm-hmm. I was playing with the um, Disturbance. I had a gig last night, and I played Please. the Disturbance. I should probably do a little story time after this. but And I was just kind of, like, messing around with them. Like, you know, this sounds kind of sounds good to me, like, in most of the places where I was setting it. So I was like, I'm not going to fuss with it too much. But the dirt, I was, like, fiddling with at soundcheck and... I would just I would rather my drive section always sound good to my ear because modulation I feel like I'm just not as picky and I like generally like modulation in general is it makes me happy me too and then like the the dirt is like the push and pull of the like I just need this to sound better <laughs> like I just yes. want this to sound the Game way I want saging. it to sound yeah yeah exactly always yeah but thank you so much, NJ. That was really fun. Thank you. Um, if you want to do kind of things like this, Patreon gets first Patreon, dibs. Patreon, Discord. You know, we we put out these participation things periodically of like, hey, give us your thoughts. Or like, hey, we want to do a game. And yeah, you get to participate. It's fun. Yeah, yeah but I had, a, I had a gig last night. It was the first time in a few years Sunday Crush has played original songs. And the first time we've played a couple of new ones. Uh, my husband Rick filled in on bass, and that was really cool. Nice. But uh, there were gremlins in that venue, dude. The first oh, band, no. halfway through the first song, the guitarist amp cuts out. So the, the band just stopped really abruptly, and my singer and I were chatting in like the other room. So we weren't, we couldn't see what was happening. Yeah. And all we hear is a cut out, and then it's like really quiet, and we're looking at each other, like what's going on? Like, did they just finish a song and nobody's clapping? Oh, and I so and then I left and uh I talked to my husband who was in the room and he explained what had happened. So the first band, the amp stopped working, like halfway through <laughs> the first song. When we're playing our last song, so there's kind of like a drum riser. This the stage was essentially a drum riser. And I get up on it and I jump off during a like point in the last song toward the end. My guitar stops working. Like I like my signal cuts out completely. And so I'm like I'm looking down, I'm playing the gold foil jazz master and I'm like, Hey, uh, Oh, maybe the pickup just got turned off. So like after that song, I just pushed the pickups up and I thought, I thought I got signal. I was like, do you want to play dudes being guys, which is kind of like our punk rock ender. And Jenna's like, the singer's like, yeah, sure. And, uh, dude, (laughs) that was not the problem. So Jenna's like singing the song and then she sings, do you want to play my guitar? It's still plugged in. <laughs> and, uh, I was like, yeah, I pick up the, the gold foil. Frankly, I like chuck it to the side cause I didn't have like time and I finished the song. And, uh, I, I'm like, after the gig, I'm like, let me plug in directly to the amp. The guitar works. Okay. Well, let me start at the end of the signal chain with my boost. That I put at the end and kind of move forward boost worked fine the disturbance by death by audio didn't seem to be working but now i like and i was checking all the plugs and stuff and now i don't know what was happened because then i was like okay whatever plugged it back in normally get home plug everything in works fine works fine i don't know what happened voltage i was in an isolated power supply like a nice one yeah like so that seems unlikely and everything was turning on so i again I don't yeah. know. It's Gremlins. possible. You're, yep. <laughs> Gremlins. It's, it's possible that when I unplugged a pedal and plugged it back in, like, I don't know. Maybe something got jostled. I don't know. Maybe. I maybe know. something got jostled on the way there. Yeah. Who knows? Or moved but around, like, like, by moving. Stepping. That it stopped when I jumped down was uh, very strange. Like, it's like I hit the floor loose. and my guitar, like, so I was yeah. like, I really just thought it was the guitar. It was not the guitar. No, something sh- shook loose. That yeah. that's kind of it's a vibration or something was probably already loose, and then with the uh, vibration of when you hit the ground, may have just shook it 
loose enough that it probably disconnected. Maybe it was some. Maybe warm, it's guesswork. Yeah, yeah. So the guitar is fine. If in case anybody was worried about. Oh, sorry, bumped like the mic. Well, now worried, now that it bumped the mic, who knows now? In case anybody's worried about the guitar, look, it's fine. I think I dinged it somewhere. Oh yeah, it's got a little. little oh, you're relicking it. Warm. You're relicking it. <laughs> yeah, it's just a guitar. Rick, my husband was like. Yeah, you chucked that thing. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> you yeeted it. Just yeah, like... I did. <laughs> All right. So next is the part of the show where Joe takes a quick break. I'm going to bring out Spencer from one of my favorite bands, Charlie Bliss. They are releasing a single this week. The first one in four, three or four years. I don't know. Math. So uh, check that out. Big thanks to Spencer. And then come back for, we'll come back for the answer to last week's trivia question. And then I'll have a trivia question for y'all. Hey, see you guys later. Welcome, Spencer from Charlie Bliss. How are you doing? Doing fantastic. Yeah. So where are you these days? New York or LA? I am in lovely Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn. Oh. Nice, nice. So uh, for those of you who followed the podcast for a while, you might have heard Charlie Bliss on the podcast, like probably toward the beginning of the pandemic. Totally. Yeah, it was like, I think somewhere in the first month. Yeah, because there wasn't even a video podcast yet. Yeah, oh my gosh. And somewhere there's a video on YouTube of us doing the the riff trading. That was a lot of fun. That was so much fun. I remember that very fondly. Yeah, so I'll try to drop links to those two things in the video description. But let's uh, talk about the here and now. Charlie Bliss just got back from your first headlining tour in four years, man. Yeah, something like that. It was definitely our first headlining shows since uh, I think the last headlining show before this tour was December 2019. 19 damn i know dude it's 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 insane to think about yeah that is uh upsetting to think about a little bit sure sure it's strange that like things are still just struggling to get back to normal in a lot of ways and uh, yeah i mean not to sound cliche but like probably like that like normalcy that was before the pandemic probably just won't won't return i think this is this is it now um and yeah you know we're i think we're all sort of putting it back together figuring out how to do the dance again yeah and i mean compared to even other bands charlie bliss had sort of a strange um thing going on where your singer eva was not even in the united states for most of the pandemic like how long was she gone like a year uh, yeah, so Eva fell in love with a, a fantastic gentleman uh, in, in, in Australia. And, uh, you know, I believe the way she tells it, it's, uh, you know, she went to go, you know, see Australia with him for what was supposed to be like a few weeks, like four or six weeks. Uh, and I think she I think she left like right at the beginning of March 2020. And so she ended up staying, I think, like two years. Oh my god! <laughs> a year, yeah, something like that. Some, some very, very strong amount of time. Uh, but oh. yeah, thrilled that she kind of got to avoid the, the, the mess of it all that was happening in in New York City. Yeah, it was time. a little bit different. Weirdly, she's not the only person I've heard of getting struck specific, getting stuck specifically in Australia during the pandemic. Really? Yeah, a friend of mine was also there. Poor guy and <laughs> just stayed. Oh my gosh. Did he did he enjoy the sort of like impromptu vacation? Oh yeah. They started a business. And wow. Yeah, so they started a business <laughs> and then uh they were selling their pottery at local markets and then uh <laughs> someone called immigration on her. No. Oh my god. So she That's got so she's so like, cruel. Well, I gotta leave. <laughs> eventually she did now she's back here but uh and she's not dating the guy anymore but yeah it was kind of like oh well that's it's weird that that's happened more than once (laughs) yeah interesting you know interesting stuff yeah it's like i remember early on people being very worried on tour that they were going to get stuck 
wherever they were. Like I went totally. to Texas and like we were in Texas driving from Austin to Denton when we someone pulled up in their phone and was like, Oh, so COVID's spreading in Seattle where we are, where we were from and we were really sick a couple weeks ago and we didn't know what was going to happen. My bassist, I think, almost got pulled off of a flight because they had the sniffle. Oh yeah. Oh, my gosh. Like, that is that is super intense. Yeah. So we weren't sure exactly what was going to happen. It worked out, obviously. We all got back safe. And, and I guess it worked out for you all because it sounds like in the past couple months, year, you've been working on new music. We have. We have definitely been writing and recording a good amount. Um, it feels so exciting. You know, I think like being so far apart from one another and far apart from our fans and everything made us like kind of hungrier to make music again more. I think it reinvigorated us more than we've ever really felt before. So it's felt super fresh and sort of just like a new lease on it all. You know what I mean? Like it all feels sort of shiny and new again. Um, and before the pandemic, you know, we were touring, I, I want to say like eight to 10 months out of the year. Like it just, it, it, we were grinding ourselves into the ground. And so having this break, even though it was, I think a little bit longer than anyone wanted it to be, it actually was pretty beneficial to our process and like our like amount of gratitude that we have for the band and for the people who like listen to us. So it was bad, but also good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if everything's good all the time, then there there's, there's nothing to compare it to. It just kind of feels sure. boring, which is sure. Oh, I imagine I can't can't relate to everything being good all the time. <laughs> nope, I never had that before. Tell myself that I don't want that, but right. So, sure. did, were you all writing during the entirety of the pandemic, or did you just, you know, fairly recently in comparison to twenty twenty start? I think the real right. Well, we were definitely messing around with some new stuff right before the pandemic, and then you know, during the thick of it, you know, those first like three months, I think we all kind of were just like trying to keep our heads above water a little bit. But yeah. then, you know, as things started normalizing a little bit, um, we started back up, I want to say like early 2021, late 2020. And it just, the pace was just real quick. We just were really churning stuff out. Um, and, you know, we were able to like get quite the little war chest of songs um, in only a few months. And um, then uh, last year we, we started recording them. Nice. So how many songs do you think you all wrote versus recorded? Oh my gosh. I mean, I can tell you right now that like the demo list is like pushing 20, maybe getting up to 30 as of a few weeks ago. Um, you know, I think a lot of the songs are sort of still figuring out what they want to be. You know, we're still finding the identity of it all. But um, and we're still writing like we're still absolutely writing. I definitely think there's a lot more to come Yes, <laughs> in that in that Dropbox folder. I'm sure. And speaking of things to come, you have a single coming out next week. I haven't heard it. Yeah. Can, you, can you tell us about it? Uh, yes, I, of course, want to, you know ramp up as much anticipation as possible but i can say that like this is definitely us sort of at our most um you know the, the, when i think about this song i think about the fact that we were just having the most like unabashed fun i think we've maybe ever had writing and recording music it just felt super light it felt really it felt it felt easy not in the sense that like we weren't working for it and we weren't working hard but there was like little to no resistance I think because we all wanted to be there we all wanted to be writing songs together um and so I really think especially with this song that like sense of levity that sense of ease and fun is like really apparent especially compared to our last record which is like quite heavy mm -hmm. and quite you know thematically dark which I think is important to do and like definitely part of who we are, but it feels really exhilarating to have a song coming out that, um, 
you know, is in pretty stark contrast to the, to the older material. Yeah, totally. I mean, you got to show growth. I, I don't love it when bands do a part two record so much. Could not agree more. Could not agree more. (laughs) You know, I, I, I think it's really cool. Like the, the idea of like continuing and growing from directly like a previous idea. But I think, you know, some of my favorite artists, um, they are my favorite artists because they have like an element of surprising you with each release um, and sort of like uh, surmounting expectations and keeping their listeners sort of on their toes. Um, And I think we were not intentionally trying to do that necessarily, but I do feel as though like that sort of is the vibe. Yeah, I think that kind of thing should happen sort of yeah, organically yeah, totally. now you you have different life experiences uh you totally listen to new music you get new new things coming in so you got to get new things going out yeah and i mean when you think about like what's going on with the band internally you know sam has had two children now two beautiful children eva is madly in love in australia you know we're all sort of growing um and expanding our lives in these really like enriching and powerful ways so like i think naturally the next sort of iteration of music from us is going to be sort of like this bombastic expression of like joy and like, it's still complicated and like there are, you know, elements of darkness or whatever in there, but you know, it is, it feels like a very honest and true reflection of where we all are right now and the growth that has sort of like organically gone on the four of us individually and the four of us as like a group. You know, yeah, because you all have known each other most of your lives. Yeah, dude, it's pretty nuts. I've known Dan since I was ten. Obviously, mm-hmm. Eva and Sam are related, so that goes <laughs> that goes back. Eva and Dan have known each other since they were like eleven. Mm-hmm. I've been best friends with Eva since I was fifteen. So you know, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's not something you you see often at all outside of just straight up family bands. You don't. Um, and, you know, I, I get it. Like, I think the longer you know somebody, sort of like in many ways, the more like prickly and sensitive that relationship becomes. Um, it's not it's not like it's always like the longer you know somebody, the more resilient and like, you know, tried and true uh, the relationship becomes. But I think with us, it's sort of like as the relationship's become more complex and perhaps more complicated and sensitive I think we just like appreciate each other more you know what I mean like it it really does feel like the strongest bond uh we could like a a group of platonic people could uh, attain you know what I mean yeah totally um so since the pandemic has the way you all write songs together changed um I mean you know I the majority of songs absolutely come from from Sam and Eva um, sort of like working on their own you know Eva very often will you know sort of think of like a lyrical conceit or a vocal melody or just like a fully fleshed song you know what I mean Um, and then you know Sam usually starts from like an instrumental place um, and they will share that with the group um and you know there have been a lot of like really amazing opportunities for all of us to sort of be in the same room and work like that which is like that's i think everyone's favorites that's that's the best but there's also been like a lot of like zoom sessions and i think initially that was like kind of terrifying for us uh but it actually works great it were it works fantastically you know we can do the little screen share and you know everybody <laughs> throws their ideas out and it's you know, I think at first, like, in trying to conceptualize it, it, it felt like it might be this, like, you know, we're talking over each other, and it's just mayhem and chaos. But it's actually like, it's pretty orderly, it's pretty organized, the workflow is really smooth. Um, it's super fun. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. So can you can you give us any hints about uh, this is still a guitar podcast in some vague sort that's of right, way, right. but <laughs> can you give us any like hints about what the role of guitar has been? Lately with Charlie Bliss? Yeah. I mean, it's such an, it's, it's been interesting. And I think that is something that we're still figuring out. Um, I know that for this next song, 
excuse me, I just uh, burped, which was disgusting. Uh, this next song, UDK, or uh, You Don't Even Know Me Anymore, that will be coming out. Um, all of the guitars were, or almost all of the guitars were recorded after we had the primary song, the primary tracking done for the song. So we had it, we did, made it in the studio, we loved it. I kind of was listening back and I was like, there's some more things I'd at least like to try to do. And so I um, recorded a bunch of guitars just in my room, just direct into Logic, mm -hmm. um, sort of as just like sketches and like, maybe we could do this, maybe da, da, da. And we ended up keeping a lot of those in the song. Uh, nice. So I would say about 80% of the guitars you hear on this new single were just done by me in my bedroom and then uh, mixed in by um, our our engineers and producers. Um, and I think it's it sounds kind of crazy, but it's, it's pretty fun. Um, yeah. But I think that process is sort of indicative of us trying to figure out like how to creatively um, and intentionally use guitar um, just because it's, it's, it's a tricky one sometimes, you know, yeah. I think guitar is like a very, like the references are always very direct. It's like, if you put power chords in a song, it's going to sound like a song with power chords in it. Yeah. And like, you know what I mean? Does that, does that make sense? Like, it's just, it's hard to sort of add guitar without sort of pointing the camera directly at the guitar. Like it takes up a lot of room, takes yeah. a lot of attention and that's not always what you want. So I feel like the goal is to sort of still be creative, still serve the song, but also make sure that it has um, the place for the guitar is, is like sort of earned and fits in the song. Organically. Yeah. I think it was Wendy Melvoin was talking about a few years ago that she's asked to put guitar on pop songs and she's like i just don't know where there'd be room for it and uh this past early winter early earlier this year i listened to every song that was on the top hot 100 from billboard the year before and kind of made notes about what the guitar sounded like and there weren't a lot of modern guitar forward tracks most of it was kind of like plucky background stuff to add some texture that or it was singer songwriter acoustic guitar stuff but big loud guitars there's just not not a lot of space for them in in pop especially with the more people using synthesizers totally and i think the guitar is such an incredible versatile instrument i think the the real sort of work to be done is challenging those sort of impulses that feel obvious and that feel like what like you know you pick up guitar you're gonna go to track guitars right the first thing you want to do is you want to fill up space, right? You want to carve out space so you can like support or like, yeah. you know, if there's not enough mids, you, you play some uh, power chords or if there's not enough highs, you do some like riffy stuff. Mm -hmm. But I feel like there's so many ways to deviate from just like serving these like direct purposes. And it requires like uh, some hard work and something outside of the box. But I think the guitar can do so many things that you wouldn't immediately expect it to do. Totally. Especially and with like pedals and, you know, getting different sounds and trying different amps and different pickup settings. There's so many ways you can serve the songs in ways that don't feel immediately obvious. Yeah. I mean, last time we talked, you talked about the Enzo uh, by Maris, which yeah, is totally. a pedal I, I personally use. I think it's a it's kind of hard to beat that one it's after you get your presets dialed in. Because, oh, yeah, oh which takes God. like months and months to do. But once you get it, it's, it's smooth sailing. Do you have the preset switcher for that one? I, I have no choice but to have that. That yeah, is the, the only. The yeah. Yeah. I'm like, OK, that's my lead sound. There's my. Yeah. Uh, like there's my whooshy sound. Like it's it's such a vast pedal. You're just going to. Oh, lose. it's fantastic. It's so good. Yeah, I, like I have the, like that's why one too, but the Enzo. Oh, I what is that? Like, oh, that's the Boss synth pedal. Ooh. So they have the SY one, which doesn't have presets, and then they have the SY two hundred, which has room for uh, well, like one hundred eighty nine presets. I don't know some MIDI thing. I don't really know much <laughs> about MIDI, but yeah, that I, is a lot of presets. It's <laughs> a lot of presets, and it gets a little like unwieldy to be honest just up 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 oh i mean yeah Sweet 
doing that between 189 presets sounds a little bit exhausting. Yeah, you would need like a MIDI controller, I think, to really figure that one out. Right. Because they make the ones right. now that you can like, okay, let's, I'm just have a set list. Uh, and this song sends these signals to like a bunch of things. I'm like this is beyond my my pay right. grade, but a little bit, yeah. <laughs> major respect for people who do that. Um, other than the Enzo, is there any gear that's inspired you lately? Um, you know, I have really just been trying to focus on like, I don't know if this sounds like so stupid, but like, I'm trying to mostly focus on like right and left hand being the most important like sonic tools and like really trying to focus on like how you can use like picking dynamics and like you know deft fretting versus like very like you know clunky playing um and trying to like get as much out of like just like my hands and the guitar as possible you know i still <clears throat> love my pedal board need my pedal board of course yeah but i think there's like especially in this last tour was super important just for me realizing like how many sonic capabilities exist just in your hands um and how much you can really change the like flavor of playing just based on like how you're holding the pick are you choking it or is it loose how you're fretting you know where are you playing an e on the 12th fret on the low e string or are you doing it you know on the seventh fret of the g string it's like those choices are so important yeah. And I was thinking about that a lot on this last tour. Good. Well, thank you so much, Spencer. Um, everybody check the video description slash show notes for pre-save links for the new song. You don't even know me anymore. Um, I'll also include links to some other content we've done with Spencer and Charlie Bliss. Um, is there anything else you want to leave people with before we, we, we say goodbye? Go pre-save the song on Spotify. Follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. And I, we love you guys. Thank you. <laughs> well, thanks so much. Let's get back to the rest of the show. Thanks again to Spencer from Charlie Bliss for the interview. Um, be sure to check out a pre-save link in the video description slash show notes for that new song, You Don't Even Know Me. And I cannot wait to hear it. Definitely check it out. Yeah. So let's get into the trivia. Yes. Uh, the question, Joe? The question was, in Back to the Future, what guitar was Marty McFly playing and why was it controversial? So a few people pointed out, he does play multiple guitars in the movie. I knew which one you were talking about. You were talking about the one where he's in the past and the dance. Mm -hmm. And the answer is that guitar hadn't been released yet. Or yep. it was the wrong year model. So they got, it was close, but not quite. Yep. The uh, model that he played was a Gibson uh, ES-345. And the reason why it was controversial was the fact that the scene is set in 1955, but the guitar itself would have been released in 1958. So that's a pretty big difference. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't. I think I feel like the 335 might have been released by then. Ob like obviously, I think. Let me Google that one. So maybe they just did not know what they were playing. No, I mean maybe the prop crew was just like, here, guitar <laughs> doesn't, uh, you know, being uh, historically accurate is. Oh not shit! <laughs> Even the three thirty five wasn't released until. Oh wow! Okay, I I huh. retract that that jokative statement. Electric Spanish. Did they have some kind of version of this? So the ES series. Uh, debuted with the ES5 in 1949. That mm. could not be mistaken mm -mm. for 345 or 335. The ES100 was 38. Let me see. So there were some ES models. The ES130, that has a cutaway. Like these just don't look. They don't yeah. look similar, yeah. They don't look similar enough to me. The ES2, oh gosh, these. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. This is a boner. On their big big boner on their part. That's what it's called. That's what it's called. That's what it's called when you make a stupid mistake. Let's see. 350. Again, not even close, man. Mm, no. That's what I said. Like that's what's like, yeah. 
that that's not how this works. It's not how any of this works. <laughs> yeah, I can't see one just like by hovering over the pictures that to me is like, yeah, you can make that mistake. Mm-mm. No. So, yep. no, I would say bad yeah. mistake. Also, again, I think I mentioned this last week, the whole like idea that like that weird circular logic of a black performer getting inspired by the white performer who was just covering his music. Oh, yeah. Kind of weird, but like that that whole thing we, we've talked about it ad nauseum yeah. at this point um i have this week's trivia question so gear fest sweetwater's gear fest online 2023 starts this week we're both going okay and my trivia question is what year was the inaugural gear fest and if you watched yesterday's video you know the answer so maybe go back and watch yesterday's video for the answer but if you if you think you know it Drop it in the comments. If you're listening slash watching on Spotify, there's a place where you can put in your answer there. And uh, I guess we'll see you after Gear Fest, guys. Yep. We'll see you when we get back. All right. All right, everybody out there. Thanks for watching slash listening. Thanks for understanding. Until next time, my name is Emily. I'm Joan Ohari. Goodbye. Be seeing you. <laughs>